We have an anchor that keeps the soul Steadfast and sure while the billows roll Fastened to the rock which cannot move Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson Preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi And now, Mike Hickson I want to invite you to turn with me today to the book of Luke in chapter 22. We're going to be looking at this text in just a moment or two. Not too long ago, we sang a song one Sunday night. And for whatever reason, during the course of that song, it reminded me of my grandparents. Specifically, I thought about the little kitchen that they had. And within that kitchen, I thought about a clock that hung just over their table. I have no idea what spawned that thought, what reminded me of that. But I remember thinking, I would give $100 to see that old clock right now. Sometimes a song can remind us of things. It might be that we see something and that reminds us of something. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus talks to Simon Peter and tells him that Satan wants to destroy him. And then in light of this fact, points out that he will deny him and he said the rooster will not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you know me it's hard to imagine a rooster reminding someone of something very important but that was the case it's what Jesus said And so today I want to ask the question, is there a rooster crowing in your life? may seem like an odd title, but I want you to think with me for a moment or two about the adversary that was intent on destroying Simon Peter. As I think about this adversary... You and I both know that we're talking about Satan. And in verse 31, Jesus said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Let me just begin by talking about the audacity of Satan. When I use the term audacity... I think about individuals that will sometimes make a statement and the response is, I can't believe you just said that. I remember many years ago when I was talking to some elders about working with a particular congregation. They asked me, do you believe the Bible is the word of God? And I thought, you got to be kidding me. 
Do I believe the Bible is the inspired Word of God? Absolutely. Well, sometimes when we think about the disciples, the apostles, it's hard for us to imagine that these men were human, but they were human. And they had their faults and their frailties, and yet they also had a great association with Jesus. So sometimes when we step back and we think about what Jesus is saying to Simon, that Satan has asked for him, that he might sift him as wheat, it's almost as if we might say, are you kidding me? The devil is really after Simon Peter? I mean, after all, think for a minute or two about his connection to Jesus. In Mark chapter 10, verse 28, Peter said on one occasion, Lord, we have left all and followed you. Now, Simon Peter was a fisherman by trade, wasn't he? And he and his brother gladly left their trade so that they might become students of Jesus, disciples of his. And they formed a very intimate circle with the Lord. And then I think about the confessions of Peter. For example, in Matthew chapter 16, you remember when Jesus asked the disciples, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then Jesus asked, But whom do you say that I am? And Peter said, You're the Christ. The Son of the living God in John chapter 6. Jesus identified himself as the bread of life. This statement ruffled a lot of feathers. A lot of folks didn't understand it. And John said from that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. And so Jesus asked the question, will you also go away? Simon Peter spoke up and he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of eternal life, and we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So I think about those landmark confessions. And then I'm reminded of the courage of Peter. In verse 33 of our text, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, I'm ready to go with you, both to prison and to death. That was a bold statement. And I think that when you begin to look at the heart of Peter and you talk about his heart of hearts, I have no doubt that's what he thought. That he genuinely believed that if the need were to arise, he'd go to prison on behalf of Jesus, he'd go with him. He'd be willing to die for him. And then there is the commissioning of Peter. Again, in Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus told Peter, Upon this rock I will build my church. In verse 18. And the gates of Hades would not prevail against it. He told Peter, in verse 19, that he would give unto him the keys to the kingdom of heaven. 
Whatever he said was bound on earth would be bound in heaven. Whatever's loosed on earth would be loosed in heaven. On Pentecost Day, Peter and the other apostles opened the doors to the kingdom of God. They were inspired men preaching the gospel for the first time. So when you think about all of these things, it's somewhat hard to imagine that here is the devil, and he has the audacity to make this statement to Jesus, or make this statement. Hard to imagine that Satan would actually come after Peter, but he did. Now, there's a second thing I want you to see in connection with this. We talk about the audacity of Satan, but then the attack by Satan. His task was to somehow, some way, destroy the faith of Peter. Listen again to what, it, what Jesus said. Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Now, a sifter was used to separate wheat or grain from the chaff, the good from the bad, the usable from the unusable. What Satan wanted to do was to remove the faith that dwelt in the heart of Peter. He wanted to separate him from his faith. That was his goal. And I think about Peter years later writing in 1 Peter chapter 5 and saying, Be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may, deliver, whom he may destroy. If anybody knew about the work of Satan, Peter did, didn't he? And so, in this context, there was an attack leveled upon the apostle Peter. So his task, and then I think about it, I think about the tools. One of the tools that is so commonly used by the devil is peer pressure. Now, if you look at Luke chapter 22, you will find that after Jesus was taken by the mob, in verse 54, the Bible tells us that Peter followed at a distance. Rather than staying close to Jesus, he retreated. The disciples forsook him and fled. And Peter caved under the pressure. You recall he was asked about his relationship to Jesus. And he denied any type of relationship. I want to say to those of our young folks as well as to all of us that peer pressure can separate us from our relationship with God. Paul said, Be not deceived. Evil companionship corrupts good morals. Solomon would say in the long ago, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. In other words, don't run with a bad crowd. I'm grateful that we have a rock-solid, strong youth group. 
I'm very thankful for the great work that Jared and Anna do with our young people. I'm convinced that their work with them shows that your work with them at home shows. But sometimes we need to be reminded that if we hang around with the wrong kind of people, it can ultimately come back to hurt us. Add to this the pleasures of the world. Jesus knew that the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, can possibly destroy our faith. In Matthew chapter 13, he said, they choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. John said, love not the world, neither the things which are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof, but he who does the will of the Father abides forever. Now I talk about peer pressure and I talk about the pleasures of the world and I know that there is a devil out there and he is intent on destroying our faith. And when he sees young people, he thinks about they're ripe for the taking. Let me tell you about my week, this past week. I don't do this often, but I want to share with you something that occurred this past week. A week ago, Friday night, I received a call from a mother. And she called me, and she was distraught. She was hurting. Her son had died. During the course of our conversation, she said, we believe he, he overdosed. I want you to conduct his funeral. So Monday, I have to conduct the funeral of a young man that has overdosed. So I get to the funeral home. Nancy and I went to the funeral home. Visitation was from 4.30 to 6. The memorial service would begin at 6. They called earlier in the afternoon, wanted me to meet with them and talk to them about the service itself. And I told her, if there are things you want me to say, if there are scriptures you want me to read, just let me know. When I got there, they had the family in a little room. And just the immediate family was in that room. This boy's two sisters were sitting beside him holding his hand and crying. This mother, absolutely devastated. She couldn't give me a scripture. Couldn't really tell me anything to say. Too distraught. Her husband said, whatever you say will be fine. So I've got to do this boy's funeral. 
And I think about what Satan has done to the human family. She said, you know, he had a good heart. She also said he did a lot of bad things. His father told me that, and I didn't remember this, he said, you baptized him at Macon Road. Somewhere, somehow, someway, the devil, through friends, whomever, got him to pick up a needle. And he began using. And she said the last three or four years have been really, really tough. I tell you that because I had to conduct that boy's funeral. Late in the day, I told Nancy, I really don't know what I'm going to say yet. A lot of things go through your mind. I used Job chapter 3 when Job said after losing his family, his wealth, his health, he said, that which I feared the most has happened to me. What happened to that family? It is every mama's and daddy's worst nightmare. Now, sometimes our children die because they have a disease, they have some type of incurable illness. Sometimes they die because of a traffic accident, but sometimes they die using drugs. Drugs are a terrible thing. As I sat by the podium before I spoke, I thought about a fellow that I worked with at Coca-Cola, 19 years old, overdosed one Friday night. And I thought, you know, for a long, long time, I've been battling this kind of stuff with people. I've seen what drugs can do to folks. And to our young people, I simply say, you say no, and you run from drugs. This young fella left this earth far too soon. My plea, my prayer, what I said to those who were there that day, I said, my prayer is that what happened to him can be a tool to teach, that people will come to understand Drugs are a dead-end street. They destroy. They destroy relationships. They destroy lives. So I'll tell you that because I think you need to know sometimes what we have to deal with. The devil... He's not satisfied. He'll never be satisfied until he gets you or until he gets me, until he gets your children or he gets my children.
till he gets your grandchildren, etc. So, I want you to know the devil is a real, real being. And he wants to destroy. A lot of tears were shed Monday night. But not one tear was shed by the devil. And he was and is the cause of all of this. So, the devil was after Peter. He's after you. Very quickly, I want to talk about the ally that was intent on defending Simon Peter. Listen to what Jesus said. Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he might sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. First, his resource in temptation was Jesus. I want you to know that when we talk about our resources, we have strength in the Lord and only in the Lord. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, Paul said, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Think about that. Put on the whole armor of God. Why? So that you might be able to withstand the advances, the schemes, the wiles of the devil. Our strength is has to be in God. There are a lot of things out there that can destroy your faith. You do not want to be a statistic. You want to be able to withstand His overtures. So understand, first and foremost, your strength is in the Lord. And when Paul talked about that Christian armor, he said, you take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That sword, both offensive and defensive. It is a weapon that can be used, should be used. And then secondly, our struggles in the Lord. Let me tell you what, the Lord never told us that when we become His children that everything just go our way and we never have to face the devil again. Not at all. Paul said, be strong in the Lord, in the strength of His might, put on the whole armor of God, that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That is his schemes. All he's saying is that as a child of God, you're going to have to fight the devil. You're going to have to be at war with him. It's going to be a daily war. Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on life eternal. So, his resources and then his reminder. Listen now to what Jesus said, verse 34, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. Do you remember 
Peter denied knowing Jesus three times. And then what happened? That rooster crowed, didn't it? When that rooster crowed, the Bible says, Then Peter went out and wept bitterly. I want to ask you a question. Is there a rooster crowing in your life? What would it take to wake you up to truth? To living right? To living for God? To doing His will? What would it take? What would it take to get you to think about your relationship to God? Is it possible it's a sermon? Is it possible that something has been said that has touched you and made you think about your relationship to God? We sing an invitation song every week. That song is intended persuade those who need to respond to heaven's invitation to come. Is that, is that your rooster crowing? Is it the loss of a friend? Do you have to bury a loved one before you realize, you know what, this is serious stuff. Do you have to stand at the side of an open grave of a peer and realize, you know what, I'm not immortal, I'm not Superman? I'm not going to be here forever. Is that what it's going to take? What will it take for you? You see, that rooster crowed, and it, it made Peter remember. Sometimes we need to be jolted back to reality. When I did that funeral service last week, That was a tough one. If I have to do another one, it will be no easier, I promise you. They're always tough. And here's the thing. What am I going to say that's going to help that family? I told the mother, you never get over it, you just learn to live with it. Sometimes maybe it takes a tragedy to get people back to where they need to be. If you're here today and you're not a child of God, I would strongly encourage you to come to Christ. Is this the last sermon you'll ever hear? I don't know. The last invitation song you'll ever sing? I don't know. The last time you'll ever step foot in this building, I don't know. But I know this, there's coming a day when all good things come to an end. So if you haven't obeyed the gospel, I encourage you to do what they did on Pentecost Day. Here's what Peter said. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, Acts 2, verse 38. If you'll do that, God will put you in the church, Acts 2, 47. The assurance is if, that if you'll be faithful till death, God will crown you, Revelation 2.10. If you're here today and for whatever reason you've lost your way in life and you know that 
the road you're on right now is a dead-end street. It might be that you're here and you're battling drugs, just like this fellow that I told you about. Pills, alcohol, needle, I don't know. I want you to know this. Those things will kill you. They kill. You may come forward today, and it may be that you want to come forward, but you're afraid that people will be thinking in their mind, okay, what have you done? Look, we're a family. We're not here to hurt you. We're here to help you. We're in the helping business. And so if you're a child of God and you're not where you need to be and we can pray for you and with you, we want to do that. James said, confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another. We'd be happy to do that for you today. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. Will your anchor hold in the storms of life When the clouds unfold their wings of strife When the strong tides lift and the cables strain Will your anchor drift or firm remain? We have an anchor that keeps the soul Steadfast and sure while the billows roll Fastened to the rock which cannot move Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love.